following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. We're starting a new series this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking in Romans, just chapters 12, 13 and 14 uh, over the next four weeks, uh, looking at the nature of biblical community. And uh, I'm doing this series really in preparation for the time that we can regather again, Lord willing, COVID permitting. Uh, and I, I want to help to prepare us a- as a church community for regathering together, being together again face to face by talking around uh, what, what does it mean for us to journey well together through this time? Uh, what does it mean for us to walk together and hold together uh, as a church community with all of the pressures and strains and tensions going on in our world at this time, pressures inside and outside the church? Uh, what does it look like for us to present a unified Jesus to a divided and a fractured world? And so as we look at some passages from these three chapters, we're going to talk about Christian community. We're going to talk about our response to the government and the nature of the church and the state. We're going to talk about what it means to handle disagreements and different convictions within the church and and how we walk together in unity despite our differences. And so these are pertinent issues that we will apply into uh, the COVID environment that we find ourselves today in preparation for the time that we can be together again face to face as a church community. So this morning... Uh, We're starting with this passage in Romans 12 that you've just heard read out to you. And as we begin to reflect on that particular passage that Paul writes to the church in Rome, uh, let me read to you a quote uh, by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, He was a pastor in Germany in the 1930s under the Nazi regime, and he wrote a wonderful little book called Life Together. And in it, he says this, He who loves his dream of a a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. When the morning mist of dreams vanishes, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. What Bonhoeffer is saying by that is that often in our minds, maybe even subconsciously, we, we hold these dreams of what we think Christian community looks like. And we hold these ideals around what what a real biblical community is, what a church should really be. And we we have these visions that we carry in our head around that. And Bonhoeffer is saying, we're not called to love the dream. We're called to love the people, the people that God has actually placed right in front of us. We're not called to love some pie-in-the-sky vision of what Christian community is supposed to be. We are called to love the brothers and sisters that are right there in front of us on a Sunday morning and at other times. So what Bonhoeffer is saying is you actually need to let your dream of Christian community die because the longer you hold on to that, the longer you hold on to this this kind of pipe dream of what an idealized vision of the church should be, the more that you are just going to judge and criticize the church you're in and the brothers and sisters that you're surrounded by. But the more that we can let those go and just embrace the, the messy, broken, hard realities of doing life together in this kind of environment we find ourselves, then this is what births real Christian fellowship. It's not pursuing some pipe dream, but it's applying the gospel into the messiness of life, into these often dysfunctional relationships, into the the, the frustrations and the tensions and the difficulties and, and the highs and the joys of life together in Christian community. It's dealing with the reality 
and not the dream that we need to focus on. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I don't want you to see this as just some lofty, idealized vision of Christian community. I want you to read this passage of Paul's as practical instruction for how we, in in the nitty-gritty daily life of Christian relationships, can outwork the gospel in relation to the real people that God's put in front of us with all of our failures, all of our flaws, all of our issues. But what does Christian community look like in real life? So looking at this passage, Paul gives us here a long string of instructions around community and loving one another. I counted 24 exhortations in this passage. We won't have time to look at each of them, but I'd encourage you maybe in your life groups or just on your own to to go through each one and just spend some time sitting with them. But I've pulled out just eight, eight of the 24 uh, that I think are particularly relevant in the COVID times that we're journeying through as a church. And I want to highlight these eight for you this morning. We'll move through them fairly quickly and not linger. So the first is at the end of verse 10, second half of verse 10, Paul says, Honour one another above yourselves. Honour one another. Now, the the world in which Paul is writing, the the Greco-Roman world, this was all about honour. Honour was a huge deal, and people were constantly striving to to ascribe honour to themselves, which meant to get value for themselves, to get esteem for themselves, to get other people to tell them how great they were, to get accolades from other people, to increase their social status. This was honour. And the whole social structure was, was around outdoing each other in gaining Honor, seeing if you could elevate yourself with, with greater honor in the eyes of other people. And this, this phrase that Paul uses is so countercultural. Literally, what that phrase says is, in honoring each other, outdo each other. That's what he says. So, so in other words, Paul's saying, yeah, you, you should outdo each other when it comes to honor, but not in getting honor for yourselves, in giving honor to one another. This is a radical reversal of the kind of social norms that were going on in Paul's day. We, we want to be a community that outdoes each other in giving honor, giving honor away. And that means blessing each other. It means lifting each other up. It means encouraging each other. But the main way that we are going to honor one another within the church is by speaking words of affirmation, isn't it? Speaking encouraging words to one another. That's how you honor another person. Wouldn't it be great this year if we really focused ourselves on speaking encouraging words we need to hear them they are they are just oxygen for our souls can we focus on being a community that offers specific and genuine words of encouragement to the people around you this year and not only when we're face to face with each other but here's where i think honoring each other is is going to be particularly important for us in this next season is when the person you're talking about is not even there. Because it's easy when we're face to face, especially as Kiwis, we're very polite and we're very friendly. But it's when that person's not around, then the knives come out, don't they? And, and when that person is someone who disagrees with you or they're on a different page or you don't uh, see things the same way, then it's so easy when they're not there and you're in a conversation with someone else to be negative, to be critical, to be judgmental and harsh towards them. Let's be a community where that doesn't happen. Let's agree together now that we will not speak badly against one another behind each other's backs. Think of how you would like other people to talk about you when you're not there. And commit yourself. I know it's going to be so tempting 
to slide into that space of negativity sometimes. But commit yourself to being a person who honors others and speaks well of others in our church community, even when that person is not present. Even if someone else makes a negative comment about them, you be the one that speaks blessing. You be the one that speaks affirmation. You be the one that honors the others in our church community in the coming season. So let's commit ourselves to trying to outdo each other in lifting each other up, being a community of blessing and honor as we go through this year. Okay, next exhortation. It's in verse 11. Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I love that phrase, spiritual fervor. You know, literally, it means with a burning spirit. Isn't that great? With a burning spirit. And that is my prayer for you this year, that you would have a burning spirit, that God would reawaken something in you, that he'd reawaken your passion for him, that he'd reawaken your love for him. Maybe it's grown a bit cold. That he'd reawaken your love for, for, for the church, for the gospel, for his mission in the world, that he'd give you back a burning spirit, maybe the burning spirit that you had so long ago, but I pray God would return it to you this year. And you know how it comes about. It's through the very next phrase, serving the Lord. That's why Paul puts those two phrases together. I think sometimes we want to flip it around and we, we think that the way to serve God is to wait until God gives us this burning spirit, this passion, this zeal. And then when I feel pumped up, then I'll go take some step towards serving God and serving other people. Actually, Paul's saying it's the other way around. If you want God to give you a burning spirit, if you want him to ignite your faith, take a step towards serving. Take a step towards serving the Lord. Take a step towards serving God's people, towards serving the church. And through that, God gives you a sense of a stirring in your spirit because you're participating in the work that he's doing. And this year, even in these next few weeks, I mean, it's a lot involved in getting services back up and running here at Shaw. It's like we're rebooting all of these ministry teams that have kind of been dormant over the past six months or so. There's a lot of people that we, we need to step forward. There's new leaders, there's new ministries, there's home churches to get off the ground. And there are opportunities for so many willing servants and volunteers and workers to step into so many different spaces. If this is going to happen, it's going to take all of us pitching in and getting it off the ground. I want to encourage you as an application of what Paul says here to step into serving the Lord this year. I know there's a range of ways you can serve the Lord, but start by serving his church and take hold of one of those opportunities that's, that's there, that'll be right in front of you. And as you do that, I'm praying that through that step of serving the Lord, serving his church, serving his people, that God gives you a burning spirit, that God just does something in your heart and ignites a fresh faith and a fresh passion and a fresh love for him. So, so take that step. Don't even wait to be asked. Don't even wait for your feelings to catch up with it. Just take that step and trust God's going to do a work in your heart as you step out and serve this year. Okay, next instruction. Uh, we jump down to verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Now, just a brief word on this. I, I think this is very practical, and this is something that as a church we are already doing so well. It's been wonderful, hasn't it, to see over the last year the, the practical ways that as a church we've served each other, loved each other, served people in need outside of our church community. You think of the two gift appeals that we've done. Um, in the latter part of last year. I think we are a community that knows how to serve people in need. I want to just keep it 
front and center for you this year because there are people in our community who are hurting now and there will increasingly be. There are people in our church community who have lost jobs. There are people who are struggling financially. There are people who have health issues right now. There are people in relational distress. There are people with mental illness. There are people who are struggling and, and some of them are just battling away alone and maybe don't have the support that they need. Let's be those who proactively and willingly move towards others in need. Don't wait for a pastor to show up. Don't wait for an elder to show up. If you're in proximity to someone who has got some kind of need, you be the one to go. You be the one to take a step. Maybe that step is helping financially. Maybe that step is helping practically. Maybe that step is just showing up, being present with that person, letting them know that you're thinking of them, letting them know that you're praying for them. Uh, you be the one to take the first step. And, and yes, there are other resources that we can help and bring around that. There's wraparound pastoral care, of course. But we're all in this together, aren't we? We're all part of the body. And when one part hurts, all members of the body share in that hurt and that pain. And we rally together to help and to serve and to bless. And so let's take this seriously this year. Be attentive to the needs within our church community and share with the Lord's people. Let's show generosity. Let's show practical kindness. And then right next door to that commandment, we find the next one. Practice hospitality. And again, I mean, this just couldn't be more relevant to us this year. Here we are about to start up all of these home churches. And I mean, this is new for us at Shore, right? This is a new step. We haven't done home churches quite like this before in terms of, you know, church service gatherings and homes. Uh, but it's certainly not new for the church overall. The church has been doing this for 2,000 years. God's no stranger to home churches at all. That's how the church started. Uh, so we're, step, we're standing in a long tradition as we do this. But at the, at the heart of home church is hospitality. It is literally being in each other's homes and it is sharing fellowship together, Christian community. And at, and at the heart of that, we're hoping in many home churches can be the practice of breaking bread together in the Lord's Supper and taking the elements together and celebrating and proclaiming the death of Jesus. And we can do that in home gatherings as much as we can do it in church services here at the Hub. So I want to encourage you to, to really be praying towards being part of a home church this year. Uh, maybe you could be a host of a home church. Maybe you could be a leader of a home church. Uh, or you could at least just involve yourself in one and, and involve yourself in hospitality. Uh, if you're comfortable doing that and uh, you're willing to do that, it will be a really central way of experiencing and expressing what it means to be the church this year. Hospitality is going to be a key part of the uh, part of the mix for us this year and so i want you to embrace that i want to encourage you to accept that this is the common reality that we're all facing at the moment and see what you can do about involving yourself in a home church that expresses genuine hospitality this year okay now jump down a little bit more down to verse 16 here is a really key instruction paul says live in harmony with one another short little phrase there. I, I don't know about you, when I hear that phrase, live in harmony, it can kind of, it can kind of sound quite bland. It sounds a bit cliche, live in harmony, you know, sort of reminds me of a Peppa Pig episode, I think, where all the kids were dressed up representing different nations of the world, all singing about peace and harmony throughout the world, but they're all actually not playing together particularly nicely. But we can kind of, you know, living in harmony, having peace and harmony, it sounds, it sounds very nice, but it's also very glib. 
The way that Paul uses this word is quite specific. It's not just a general vague kind of notion. The word harmony in the Greek literally means to have a common mind. That's the idea, a common mind or a common mindset. It's a common way of reasoning or even a, more deeply, a common way of being. You could, you could think of this. And so Paul is saying to his community, I want you to cultivate this shared mind, a common mind. That's harmony. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all going to have the same opinions on everything. All right? We're not talking about sameness. We don't, we don't, the church is not about sameness. It's not about uniformity. It's not about everyone having the same views on every issue. We certainly don't have that at sure, and we don't need to. It's not about everyone thinking the same. We can have a diversity of opinion. We can have a diversity of perspective. We can have a diversity of viewpoint. But underneath all of that, what is critical is that we have a shared mind. We have a common mindset. That is what we do need to hold in common. And, and that mindset is quite simply the mind of Christ. That's how Paul describes it in Philippians 2, where he, he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul points us to, to Jesus as the model of what this, this shared mind should look like. And, and the essence of that mind is a posture of humility. It's exactly how Paul goes on to describe it in this verse, where he says, do not be proud. This is still verse 16. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And so the, the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ, should lead us to have a real attitude of humility towards our brothers and sisters, where we do not allow a hint of pride to creep in. I know we never think that we're proud, but we need to really check ourselves on this, that we don't allow any, any hint of an attitude of superiority towards another person, any hint of this attitude of conceit towards another person, where we just start looking down at others. We start condescending others. We start being patronizing towards others. Instead, we should have this, this posture of humility where we regard others ahead of ourselves. We regard others as greater. We become the servant. That's what Jesus himself said, didn't he? Whoever wants to be great among you, let him be the servant. Whoever wants to be first, let him be the slave. The way up is down in the kingdom of heaven. And that posture of humility is so vital. So think about what it means to cultivate this this posture of humility, this shared mind in relation to all of the issues around COVID that are going on at the moment. All of the myriad of perspectives and viewpoints and opinions on all sorts of issues to do with COVID, vaccination, vaccine mandates, all of these things. How do we, how do we have this shared mind of Christ? Well, it means that I, I don't assume that my view is the only view. I don't assume that my, my view trumps every other view. I don't assume that, that my view is somehow superior to your view and, and your perspective. I, I don't hold my opinions, and, and, and I'm saying that this should be the posture where we, we all seek to have, where we don't hold our views with any sense of arrogance toward other people. We don't hold them in a way that we kind of dismiss the views of others and just act like ours is the only view that's worth listening to. It's, it's easy to do that, I know, because we hold our views strongly, we hold our convictions strongly. But this is the mind of Christ, where I can hold my view with a certain gentleness, and I can hold my view with a, with a certain humility, where I'm willing to, to listen to the views of others. And I'm willing to take those on board. And, and I'm even, Lord willing, able to have my views modified and, and changed 
by the views of other people. I know we all want other people to change their views to be more like us, but what about flipping that around and saying, do I have a posture of humility? That I can be a servant of others and allow the views and perspectives of others, maybe even to shape the way that I see the situation. That's an attitude of humility. So I want to encourage you to think about that shared mind that Jesus is encouraging us to cultivate in this season. All sorts of different views, but let's have a shared mindset of humility towards one another. Finally then, one other instruction, uh, all the way down in verse 18, and this is so critical. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that word peace uh, is a Greek word, but it comes from the older Hebrew word shalom, that sense of wholeness in relationships, uh, broken relationships being, being put back together. And we're called to be people of, of wholeness and integrity in our relationships with one another. And that peace that we have with one another is inseparably connected to the peace that we have with God. Let me read you again a, a quote by Bonhoeffer where he, where he talks about this. He says, Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother and sister. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one, but they can continue to do so only by way of Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. So you see, Bonhoeffer is saying that there is such a, a synergy between the peace that God we have with God. God has reconciled us to himself. And out of that reconciliation, now we are called to be a reconciled community of shalom with one another, pursuing relationships of peace together. And Paul's a realist. You know, look at the way that he writes this verse. He says, if it is possible, and as far as it depends on you. So he knows we, we, you can't determine the kind of response that you'll get from someone else. You can't determine how someone else is going to treat you. You might get someone angry with you this year. You might get someone who snaps at you this year. You might have someone that just says something that's, that's just off the mark or someone that's unkind towards you, someone who treats you in a way that's less than Christ-like. But Paul says, as for you, as far as it depends on you, you respond in the way of peace. You respond in the way of humility. You respond with a spirit of shalom. And what that means, let's just be very practical. It means we're not going to get angry at each other this year. I know sometimes tension will be there. I know emotions are sometimes high. But it means this year we're not going to get angry at each other. We're not going to say unkind words to each other. We're not going to send unkind emails to each other. They just have a, have a spirit of hostility about them. We're just a spirit of aggression behind them. We're not going to send emails to each other that just have that kind of antagonism or text messages or whatever it is. We're not going to snap at each other or be dismissive in the way that we treat each other. We are going to love one another. We are going to show peace towards one another. And when we cross the line, and sometimes this is going to happen, right? Sometimes you, you, you just take a step too far and maybe your temper does flare up a little bit. So you just say something that you shouldn't have said say something that's a little bit unkind. When that happens, if that happens, take responsibility and go and say sorry. Apologize to that person. I don't know why saying sorry is such a difficult thing for us sometimes, but be mature enough to go and fess up to that person and say, hey, I just, I just went too far. I crossed a line there. I shouldn't have said what I said. I'm really sorry about that. And, and that practice of confession is so rich. 
among Christians. I mean, that really just breaks down barriers in itself. It's so disarming. It's so Christ-like to be a community of confession and then able to give and receive forgiveness. Again, you don't know how that's going to be received, but you just take responsibility for you. Be a person of peace. Be a person of gentleness. Even in the way that you communicate, think about your tone. Think Sometimes we can just use our voice and put a little inflection on that phrase to communicate a tone of annoyance, right? We can do this, right? Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we can just put a little tone on there so you can always deny it later on, but you knew, you, you know just how to say that in a way that communicates you're not happy. Let's think about even things as small as our tone of voice with each other and speak in a way that is humble and gracious and gentle. That's the path of peace. And that's how, as far as it depends on us, we pursue peace with all people. So as we, as we step back from this this morning, I want to encourage you just to reflect on these exhortations. I know there's many things we've talked about, but is there something there that God is pressing on your heart? Of all the things we've talked about, which is the one that maybe the Holy Spirit's just nudging you this morning and saying, hey, there's, there's an area to work on here in the way that you treat your brothers and sisters in the church. There's a step to take here. There's some rough edges I want to smooth over here. I want to encourage you not to brush that off, but to receive that and listen to that prompting of the Spirit and follow that. By the grace of God, allow Him to change those areas of character that need to be changed so that you can show the gospel and the love of Jesus more accurately to others in this community. You know, I heard a, a pastor say the other day, and I think it's so true in this moment, a divided world needs to see a united church. Isn't that true? You know, our world is more divided and fractured and polarized than probably any of us can ever remember in our lifetime. There is more tribalism and just ugliness in the world today than, than we can remember. And, and at this moment, what the world needs to see is something different in the church. The world doesn't need to see just more of the same bickering among Christians. The world doesn't need to see a church that just takes sides and throws its lot in with one particular group or opinion or ideology. That The world needs to see a church that is distinct and unique in its ability to pursue unity in the midst of all these divergent views. We, we know that in the world, there is going to be this kind of antagonism. There is going to be this kind of tribalism. But the church should be something else. The church should be a community of peace. The church should be a community of grace. The church should be this community where we can say to the world, we know how to hold many different views, opinions, and viewpoints on all these issues and yet hold together as one community because we hold together in Christ. And at the center of our community is one Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one God, one baptism, one body. It's that oneness that holds us together. And we have far more common ground at the cross than anything that divides us. So let's covenant together, church family, to be a community of love, genuine agape, love towards one another this year, a community of honor and hospitality and service and harmony and peace and let these qualities just flow through our relationships and our gatherings and our community life together. That is the way of Jesus and I'm looking forward to pursuing it with you this year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church, our church, 
Shaw Community Church. As we walk into this next season together, would you help us to be a Romans 12 people, a people committed to loving each other graciously, sacrificially, peacefully, and with deep humility. Let these not just be words, but help us to know how to put this into action and give us the courage to walk this out every day. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.